So now we're going to start with Steve. Oh, and... we're going to pray for the catechism. Oh, yes, we are going to. Well, except they're not here again. They're here every other week. They were here last week. Okay. Well, see, we didn't have class last week. No. no. All right. Well, let us pray for them anyway. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. Almighty and ever-living God, it has continually enriched thy church with a new offspring. Can increase the faith and understanding of our catechumens, that they, being born again in the water of baptism, may be numbered among the sons of thine adoption, through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. So, B to B number 68. Salvation in Christ. Go, Steve. Can be summarized in three words. Christ is risen. Because the most important thing to realize about salvation is that it happens in Christ. Every year during Holy Week, on Great Friday, we observe the crucifixion of Christ. He died, just like everybody eventually dies. His body and soul were separated from each other. His body ended up in the tomb, and his soul ended up in Hades. Hades is the literal dead end that awaited every human being from Adam and Eve down to Christ. Everyone, rich and poor, holy and not so holy, ended up trapped in this terrible state. There was a consequence of the fall. By separating themselves from God, the source of life, Adam and Eve sentenced themselves to death. We normally think of death as the separation of soul and body, but in reality, death is a lot worse. Death is annihilation, the descent into the non-existence from which we were created. We can see this when a person dies, as the body begins to break down and decompose. The same kind of thing happens to the soul, too, as apart from God, it begins to fade away and return to nothingness. This is what we see at the bottom of the resurrection icon, a vision of death, the darkness and loneliness and despair of Hades. As Father George Borowski says, Hades is just the darkness and shadow of death, a dark Sheol, a place of hopeless disembodiment and disincarnation, a kind of ontological infirmity of the soul, the helplessness of fallen and wounded nature. Though, as Father George clarifies just a few sentences later, Hades isn't a place at all. It's a state. Hades isn't a place souls would go. It's the state of disconnection and disappearance. A bottomless pit of annihilation from which nothing would return. At least it was such a state. Until Christ entered Hades and destroyed it. This is why, as we talked about a few weeks ago, it's so important that the one person of Christ is both fully human and fully divine. Since Christ is fully human, he joined us in death. He joined us in our terrifying slide towards non-existence, in our lowest and weakest and most lonely state. Yet when Christ died, Hades wasn't claiming just another human soul. Hades was claiming the human soul of the Son of God. And since God is the source of life, Death had no power over Christ. Death couldn't contain the Son of God. Hades couldn't contain his human soul. The tomb couldn't contain his human body. So when Christ, who is fully human and fully divine, rises, we rise with him. That's why icons of the resurrection don't simply show a triumphant Christ all by himself. They always show Christ pulling Adam and Eve, who represent all of humanity, out of death with him. The fall and our separation from God left us with a sick and broken human nature. One we couldn't heal on our own. Our bodies were powerless to escape decay in the grave. And our souls were powerless to escape the descent into nothingness in Hades. So God chose to fix that in an intimate and loving way by inviting us into his life. And this happens specifically in the divine human person of Christ. As St. Cyril of Alexandria puts it, In short, he took what was ours to be his very own so that we might have all 
that was his. Christ shared in our death, so we could share in his life. He died with us, so we could rise with him. So we could rise into true life, authentic life, life with him, without end. No longer helpless creatures, trapped by sin and death, but rather transformed into the children of God, resurrected into the life and joy of Christ. So let's be the bee and celebrate our resurrection and salvation in Christ. Be the bee and live orthodoxy. Remember to like and subscribe. I'll see you all next week. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so. Lots of important questions uh, that he brings up. So, our salvation is summed up in three words. Christ, Christ is, is risen. risen. Right? There are three, we've talked about, uh, we've talked about at least two of them, but there are three theories that have been predominant through Christ, uh, the history of the church with regards to the atonement of Christ. Um, and what does that word mean, atonement? Make up for. Make up for, Yeah. So, and, and in fact, it's almost a misleading term when we realize actually what, you know, what we're going to talk about. Um, the first theory that was, was kind of uh, out there was called the ransom theory. And the ransom theory stated that um, Satan held man hostage and that Christ gave his life as a ransom to, to free us from death, to free us from Satan, right? Okay, so that's called the ransom theory. Um, later, around the Reformation, then you get this uh, this theory called the penal substitutionary atonement. Okay, and we talked about that one. We talked about it because Calvin was a lawyer, and he always thought in, in legalistic terms and as a lawyer. So his theory was that um, we all deserve punishment, and Christ took the punishment for us, Right? So he substituted himself as 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 a criminal uh, to take the punishment for our sins, right? Okay. So the third, um, kind of in Western terms, has just uh, more recently had a name, but it's really been a predominant theory throughout the Eastern uh, Church for a long time, and it's called Christus Victor. What does that mean? Christ the victor. Christ the victor, right? And so we'll talk about this. Where, where, um, and 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 Steve talked about this for for uh, a little bit um, in terms of what what happened when Christ died. So, what is death? Separation of body and soul. Separation of body and soul, right? And what the body decays then in in the grave, and the soul. Uh, is separated from the body. Before Christ, where did all the where did you go when you died? Hades. Hades, right? Hades was was like he said a dark uh, shale. Um, let me read Father Florovsky's quote. Hades is just the sh darkness and shadow of death, a dark shale. That was a kind of a Jewish name for hell. Um, it was actually for Hades. A place of hopeless disembodiment and disincarnation. A kind of ontological... You all know what the word ontological means? 
I always it's it has to do with the existence. Um, anytime you hear ontological, it's it's a study of the existence of how something exists. So it's an ontological infirmity of the soul. So something's wrong with the existence of the soul. The helplessness of fallen and wounded nature. Hades isn't a place, but a state of disconnection and disappearance. Think about when um, we we even use those terms. For example, if uh, somebody pl thinks a place is haunted, you know, it's haunted by what shades. Um, Greek mythology always talked about the shades in Hades. Why? Because they were disembodied. They were disincarnate. Right? They had no actual physical bodies. They were they were merely spirit. Um, one of the things that, that we talk about in Orthodox theology is how man is superior to the angels. And you wonder, how can that be? Angels are mighty. Angels are powerful. But angels are only spirit. Whereas God created man to be both flesh and spirit, together, unified. Um, and so death, then, is the separation of the flesh from the spirit. And when you went to Hades, your spirit, not having that flesh anchor to hold on to, would begin to certainly feel helpless, right? Feel like it's dissolving, like it doesn't have any anchor to reality, right? So Hades was the place where every, everybody went, uh, before Christ. So, let's talk about then, what are, there's, there's some key events in, in the life of Christ that are important for our salvation. Certainly the entire life of Christ is important for our salvation. But there are certain key events that we can focus on that definitely affect the way that we are saved. Okay? What's what's the next one coming up? What's the next big feast? Hmm? His birth. His birth, right? Now we talk we 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 just we talk about the the, the birth of Christ as the incarnation, right? right? Now it's the first time we actually see him incarnate. When did the when did the incarnation actually occur? Yeah, uh, and what do we call that feast? March twenty fifth. Conception of Christ. No, no, we call it the Annunciation. Oh, okay. And why do we call it that? Because the angel of the Lord the announced, announced unto Mary, Mary right? right? Right. And it was at that moment that Christ was conceived. Because she said yes. And she said yes, right? So that is, that's the moment when God became flesh, right? In the womb. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So, and we know this. Uh, one, because the angel told her that. And two, what was the other event before Christ was born that we hear about? Joseph getting the vision? Well, Joseph got a vision, yes, that one. Uh, but a few months later. Before, before the... Elizabeth? Yes. Elizabeth. When, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, what happens? Jesus, no, John leaps in. John leaps in her womb at the presence of his Lord, right? So before either of them were born... John could sense the presence of his Lord, right? So, in the Orthodox Church, is it possible for us to, to believe abortion is correct? I don't no. think so. No. <laughs> no. No, why? Because at the moment of his conception, Jesus was Lord, and, and Jesus was Christ, right? So, we know that, that humanity begins at... Not at birth, but at conception. Okay. Um, 
So then, what's the, then the next big events we want to talk about then are, there's three actually, well, four. There's, uh, what happens on Good Friday? Jesus dies. He, he dies, right, the crucifixion, right? Does he die any special way? On the cross. He dies on the cross, which was, was the worst punishment that the Romans could, could mete out to anyone, right? Crucifixion was not something they did commonly. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst, right? right. Um, they had all kinds of different punishments. They could do flogging, imprisonment, whatever. Crucifixion, that was to set an example, because you hung on a cross and died while everybody watched. And that was the power of the state saying, you cross us, we cross you, literally. Right? Okay? But, did Christ vanish from the cross or anything like that? Did he, you know... No, he died just as any other human being, just like Steve said. Okay? So that's important. He was born as one of us. He died as one of us. Okay? Then what happened? What happened over the... He descended into Hades, right? Okay, so I want to... I'm going to take the recorder back here with me. So I want to turn everybody's attention to the back of the room. This is an icon of the resurrection. Does it show the empty tomb? Big one, in the middle. Does it show the empty tomb? No. Where is Christ? He's in Hades. He's in Hades. Right? Okay? Who, who's he helping up here on the left and the right? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. They represent all humanity. Okay? These are all the other souls. These are patriarchs, prophets, Apollo, I mean, you know, patriarchs and prophets of the Old Testament. They're all waiting to be released from Hades. Okay? One of the most interesting details down here is you see a bunch of broken locks and keys. There's keys and broken locks down here. What does that represent? Releasing them from prison. Releasing them from prison, right? On their own, they had no strength to release themselves from Hades. But only Christ could release man from Hades. And in doing so, he broke down the gates of Hades forever. Okay? No one can be trapped in Hades ever again. Right? Because Christ... This is called, one of the names of this icon is called the harrowing of Hades. It means he went and he cleaned it out. He released all the souls that were present in Hades from their imprisonment. Okay? That's our icon of the resurrection. It's not the empty tomb. Right? It's not, uh, you know, an empty cross. It's Christ releasing mankind from what up till then had been his certain doom. Hades. Okay, so, that's why St. Cyril says, and, and this was his quote, um, in short, he took what was ours to be his very own. What was ours that he took on? The trip to Hades? Well, that and flesh, all right? He took on our existence. He took on our human existence so that we could have what was his, which was the grace to be released from Hades and the promise of life eternal, right? So what happened in Hades was, Hades was the place of death, right? So when Christ enters Hades, who is, who is Jesus? The source of life. 
literally the source of life. He is the word of God by which the entire universe was spoken into to existence. He is the incarnate word of God. He is the source of life. And light. And light. So when life and light enters Hades, who's going to win that one? Jesus. Okay. So... This was a short video. It's going to be a short class. But there is one, and, and so, you know, when we look at those three theories of the atonement, right, this is not about, oh, the devil's so powerful he kept man hostage, and, and all, all, you know, the only thing God can do is, is give his only son as a ransom to release him. Satan isn't that powerful. Death isn't that powerful. Okay? He is to us because without God's help, we can't escape him. But compared to God, we make this mistake. And the Manichaeans made this mistake. They, they, they thought we had a duality. We always talk about good versus evil. Right? Like they're equals. So on this side, we pit God. And on this side, we pit Satan like he's an anti-God. Is that correct? No, he's a creature. No, he was a creature. Okay, this isn't a duality. This is God up here. Who was Satan? An angel. An angel. He was an angel. He was called Lucifer. He was the brightest among all the angels, right? And what happened? What's what was his great sin? Thought he was equal to God. Pride, which is our sin of pride. We think we're equal to God, or we think we know better than God, right? So we set him aside and do our thing, all right? So, God is up here. Satan's down here. Okay? So, basically, who's Satan's equal in the grand scheme of things? After the fall. Who, who, basically, on whose level is Satan after the fall? In terms of power. Below us? Well, he's certainly below us, yes. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who wander the world seeking the ruin of souls. St. Michael is the angel, is, is the equivalent of Satan, not God. God's above everything. Jesus is above everything. The Holy Spirit's above everything. Right? Satan plays his games down here, but he can never match God. And death can never match life. We see that in this world. How many of you remember Mount St. Helens? Blowing up. Oh. Right? 1980, I think it was. Right? Something like that. 1980s. So Mount St. Helens blew up. What did it leave behind it? Ash. Devastation. Death. I forget how many people died. There was one guy named Harry S. Truman. He said, no, I'm too old to leave. I'm not leaving. And he got blown up with a mountain. Right? But it left death all over. And they said, oh, this will be like a moonscape. It wasn't the next year before little sprouts start popping up. Right? The place is covered now. And what? Life. You pave a sidewalk. It's got a crack in it. What comes up? Grass. Life. 
Life finds a way. That's the old Jeff Goldblum line from Jurassic Park. Life finds a way. Right? We could try death. You know, we could try dealing death and destruction all over the place. Um, November 11th was Veterans Day, right? What's what's the traditional symbol? Not not much in the United States, but especially in in England and Canada and oh, the, poppy? the red poppy. You know why it's the symbol? Of, of And I just learned this last year. Do you know why it's the symbol of Veterans Day? They grew in some field. They grew in the field of Flanders, and there was a poem about it. But do you know why they grew there? No. After the field of Flanders where they grew had been blasted by artillery, back and forth, back and forth for years and years and years. It was, it was worse than Mount St. Helens. I mean, it was a moonscape, right? Just artillery shell after artillery shell. But the soil, what it did to the soil was it made it very, very alkaline. Okay? The only thing that would grow there were poppies. And so for the first few years after the war, all you had there was these fields of red poppies. Right? But life found a way. Okay? There are, there are places in Antarctica they drill down a mile in the ice and there's something living there. There is a, hardly a place on this earth that you cannot dig and find life. Right? Life finds a way. So yeah, never, never think that, that, that God and Satan are, you know, like this dual nature and they're, they're, they're fighting each other. No. Satan is beneath God. Literally. Right? He, he sends St. Michael to deal with him. He sends the angels and our guardian angels to watch over us. Right? But yeah, Satan's nowhere. Satan wishes he was God, but he never will be. So, I want to close by reading something I think will definitely confirm which of these three theories of the atonement is the one to which we subscribe, okay? And I need your help with it. There is a tradition, and we haven't done this here, but I've seen it in, I saw it at Holy Trinity, I know they do it, and I've seen it in other parishes, so I want you to help me with this. When I'm, gonna, when I'm about to read, there's two phrases that are repeated late in, at, toward the end, Okay? One is, it was embittered. It was embittered. And when you hear me say that, I want you to repeat that. Okay? And it's like three or four times that we'll do that. The other is, I'll, that, that has Christ is risen. Right? And you'll say, indeed he is risen. Okay? And I want you to do that. And say it with confidence. Say it with boldness. Say it with hope, because that is our hope. That Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. That in that is our salvation. It is the tradition in the Orthodox Church that on Pascha, on Easter, the priest does not preach. Okay? He doesn't preach. One reason, it's a, there's a practical reason to it, is after all of Holy Week, he's really, really tired. But the other consequence then is, on Pascha, we all hear the same sermon, okay? We all hear the same sermon, and that's what I'm going to read to you, all right? 
And it's traditional in many places to that the, the congregation read these responses while I'm reading it. Okay? And you'll know when we get there because I'll point. So, and I love reading this, so any opportunity I get, I'm going to take it. So, this is the Paschal Homily of Our Father Among the Saints, John Chrysostom. If anyone is devout and a lover of God, let them enjoy this beautiful and radiant festival. If anyone is a grateful servant, let them rejoicing enter into the joy of his Lord. If anyone has wearied themselves in fasting, let them now receive recompense. If anyone has labored from the first hour, let them today receive the just reward. If anyone has come at the third hour with thanksgiving, let them feast. If anyone has arrived at the sixth hour, let them have no misgivings, for they shall suffer no loss. If anyone has delayed until the ninth hour, let them draw near without hesitation. If anyone has arrived even at the eleventh hour, let them not fear on account of tardiness. For the master is gracious and receives the last even as the first. He gives rest to him that comes at the eleventh hour, just as to him who has labored from the first. He has mercy upon the last and cares for the first. To the one he gives and to the other he is gracious. He both honors the work and praises the intention. Enter all of you therefore into the joy of our Lord, and whether first or last, receive your reward. O rich and poor, one with another, dance for joy. O you ascetics and you negligent, celebrate the day. You that have fasted and you that have disregarded the fast, rejoice today. The table is rich laden, feast royally all of you. The calf is fatted, let no one go forth hungry. Let all partake of the feast of faith, let all receive the riches of goodness. Let no one lament their poverty, for the universal kingdom has been revealed. Let no one mourn their transgressions, for pardon has dawned from the grave. Let no one fear death, for the Savior's death has set us free. He that was taken by death has annihilated it. He descended into Hades and took Hades captive. He embittered it when it tasted his flesh, and anticipating this, Isaiah exclaimed, Hades was embittered when it encountered thee in the lower regions. It was embittered, for it was abolished. It was embittered, for it was mocked. It was embittered, for it was purged. It was embittered, for it was despoiled. It was embittered, for it was bound in chains. It took a body and came upon God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what it saw, but crumbled before what it had not seen. O death, where is thy sting? O Hades, where is thy victory? Christ is risen. Indeed, risen. And you are overthrown. Christ is risen. Indeed, risen. And the demons are fallen. Christ is risen. Indeed, risen. And the angels rejoice. Christ is risen. Indeed, risen. And life reigns. Christ is risen. Indeed, risen. And not one dead remains in a tomb. For Christ, being raised from the dead, has become the first fruits of them that have slept. To him be glory and might unto the ages of ages. Amen. Amen.